As Nigel just said, we've been doing a series, we had a break last week to do kind of uh, Intention of the Green. So I just said, amazing time. And, uh, and so I'm just going to be carrying on. And we've been going on a journey um, on kind of ch- a couple of dimensions over the kind of last few weeks. We've been going on a kind of what I'd think of as a kind of theoretical way of thinking, a mindset journey. You know, we spent a lot of time talking, what does it mean about things like, you know, words like renewal, encountering God? What does it mean, words like uh, revival? And I, I gave you a definition that we've used a couple of times there, what that means. You know, that Duncan Campbell, a man that God mightily used to bring a revival um, in the Hebrides, said this, Here we see the difference between a successful campaign and revival. In the former, we may see many brought to a saving knowledge of truth, and the church or mission experience a time of quickening. But so far as the town or district is concerned, no real change is visible. The world goes on its way, and the dance and picture shows are still crowded. But in revival, the fear of God lays hold upon the community, moving men and women, until then had no concern for spiritual things to seek after God. And we said that's one of the things that we kind of desire. I said, you know, that God can move at any time, whenever he wants, to cause this movement where people, wherever they may be, out there on the streets, start to encounter God. But also there's this dynamic where sometimes when we do certain things, where we cry out to God in prayer, where we lay ourselves aside and say, God, meet us, that he can just move. I said, it's a bit like lightning. Lightning can strike anywhere, but it's also more likely to strike certain places. That makes sense? You know, they say if you stand on the hill with a metal rod, you're more likely to be struck by lightning. But it's not a total guarantee. May I say I'm not recommending you to do that? Um, so we don't get sued. But, um, but as a church, as a community, as life groups, speaking on behalf of them, we're, we're kind of like saying, God, we want to put up a lightning rod. We want to get struck by you. But at the same time, we're just pressing into something more, what we would be calling transformation. By the way, can we get the first slide up? Or can I do it? Okay. And... Um, and what I mean by transformation, Nigel gave um, a couple of weeks ago, you know, just a kind of in-depth analysis, theologically from the Bible, kind of God's desire to bring transformation. The way we kind of define it, partly in our vision statement, is we want to lead our cities, we want to lead our communities into life. We want to rewrite the story of our communities, what God wants to do with it. Another way, I was trying to think of a, I like visual aids, if you haven't figured it out, and uh, was... When we bring transformation, it's like if our city was a sponge, if we wrung it out, Jesus would come out of it. That's what we mean by transformation. We want to see our cities, every aspect of our cities, the kind of the council, the schools, the playgrounds, the workplaces, you name it. If you took Winchester, if you took our surrounding communities or wherever you may live, and we squeeze it, Jesus would come out. That's what we mean by transformation. And I said when I spoke about three weeks ago, the reason why we're going for this, the reason why, yes, we're not just interested in renewal, that's great, we're not just interested in revival, that's fantastic, and we pray for it and we cry out for it. The reason we're going for transformation is because we believe this is what's gone on God's heart. And we want to go, we want to pray, we want to rearrange our lives, align ourselves with what God wants to do. And he wants to bring transformation. I give you the verses there, for God so loved the world. His desire is to see transformation of the world. 
And that challenge and that invitation to go and make disciples of all nations. He's interested in seeing massive transformation. And so that's the reason why we've been speaking on it and I'm going to be just sharing some things to help us move forward in it. So we've been going on this kind of mental journey. Some of these words you might have been familiar with, some of you are totally new words. We're taking us on this journey. But also we've been going on a journey as people. You know, God's been doing some amazing stuff. And, um, you know, and I just shared over the last couple of weeks, we've been kind of pressing in, not just talking about this, but seeking to see some of this come about. So last week we had Tent on the Green just saying, God, we want to just start doing stuff. We want to start impacting you know, Winchester. We want to start impacting our communities. A couple of weeks ago, um, we had spread out all across different communities, just prayer gatherings, people gathering in their communities. And again, just saying, God, this, we want to see you come. We want to see you move. We want to see transformation. And it's been great. It's a bit like, I looked at it a bit like... Um, this guy climbing up onto a mountain. I don't know if you've ever been mountain climbing. I wouldn't say I'm a mountain climber. I don't have the kind of equipment. But I was born in the Andes. And, uh, and so I'm used to climbing mountains. And uh, you often think, you know, maybe you can get it in the Lake District. I've never been to Wales climbing, but Lake District. You kind of climb, you know, if you're climbing, you think you're getting to the summit. And then you realize there's another summit. And so part of what I'm doing this morning is great the things that we've been doing the last few weeks. But there's a greater summit. And the summit is transformation. Let's not be satisfied with where we are. And some of the things that have taken us on the journey so far will help us for the future journey. But some things we'll have to do differently because it's a different mountain to bring transformation. And one of the key things that we want to press into these next two weeks is one of the key things that will help us move on from what we're doing, renewal, revival, and things like that, is a lifestyle being what we would call scattered servants, which really means anywhere, any place, any time, being Jesus. And that involves a cost, that involves a sacrifice. I've used this illustration before. And um, the Bible says um, in Matthew, I don't remember if Mark 5, 6 or 7, but it says that you know, we are the salt of the earth. But you know what? If salt stays in its salt shaker... It's not that much good. It might look pretty. But salt is made to affect things. And sometimes as a church, traditionally we've had this kind of idea, we're salt and those chips are going to come to us. They're not moving. And, um, but we're called to be scattered. And if you put like, if I've got, I'm not going to do it because I don't want to ruin them. So I might, this might be my lunch, I'm not sure yet. And uh, <laughs> it might be cold. But if I poured all the salt upon it, It'd just be horrible. I mean, it'd just be overwhelming because salt is meant to be scattered. We're meant to be out there. However, this can look in different ways. I've been around churches a long time and, um, and sometimes we mistake being scattered servants and just moving location. So I can get this salt and I can put it here. But that doesn't necessarily mean you get it low down, yeah. Thank you. I need my model, my system, my blue Peter assistant. Okay, there are actually lots of chips on this tray. Okay, sorry, I didn't realise. There's lots of chips, so they fall over. But just because the salt, you can put it down there. Just because the salt is in the chips does not mean that we are 
salting. It doesn't mean that we're being scattered servants. I've kind of learned this over the years. I remember years ago, uh, I used to run life groups. And, um, and I did a couple of life groups in, in pubs. And people would go, wow. They wouldn't use that language. They'd go, wow, you've been a scattered servant. You are out there in the, in the community. And to be honest, if I look back on it and I've kind of learned, really all we were doing was we plonked ourselves in the chips. We changed location, but we weren't necessarily being scattered servants. Yeah, we blessed that pub. I mean, uh, we used to run pub quizzes for them. And we used to do the um, Christmas carols, not me particularly because I can't sing. And they really enjoyed us being there, but really we, we weren't being sold out. We weren't really influencing them. You know, from one of these pubs, we planted two churches. But nobody from that pub ever joined one of those churches. And so I throw that out as a challenge to myself. I know that, I've, you know, I work amongst, uh, for 11 years in the Middle East. You can live in a Muslim country, but not necessarily be salt and light to Muslims. Just because you change location does not mean we're being scattered servants. And that's a challenge to me, and that's my challenge to throw to church in the sense of if we want to see transformation, it involves more than that's a great start. It's great to hear some life groups saying they want to be outward focused. I'm like, yeah, more of that. That's our desire. But what is it going to look like? And so that's what I'm going to talk about because what does it mean? What does it look like? It's a challenge. That's great. But what we're calling into is going to take a greater level of faith. It's going to take a, le- a greater level of obedience. What does it look like for me? What does it look like for you? What does it look like for us as a church, uh, for those who are going to stood up as life groups, to be actual salt rather than just change location? I mean, when you write a talk about a week ahead, you can't remember always what you put. Next. Okay, now, let's go back. Fingers on your sheets. I just want to focus in on a couple of verses and then just give some, um, some thinking in relation to it. I think it's on your sheets where there's a verse in Acts chapter 1 and verses 4 and 8. And it says, wait for the gift my father promised. And then you go into verse 8. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria... And to the ends of the earth. So go ahead. Now Jesus was saying to his disciples, early disciples, wait here. Don't go anywhere. You want to encounter this thing, the Holy Spirit. He's going to totally transform, mess up your lives. He's going to send you on a wild, amazing adventure to tell people everywhere. And then we read um, later on in the same books, Acts chapter 17, verse 6. I think it's on your sheets. These, these ones we've just been talking about, those we were waiting, turn the world upside down. And that's our desire as a church. We want to rewrite the story, bring life into the communities. We want to turn our worlds, our spheres of influences, upside down so that they are transformed. And so these kind of two coming weeks, I'm just going to share partly what it looks like to take us. I'm kind of like pointing. It's a journey I'm trying to go on individually as a church leadership this is where we want to go to. These are some of the things that will help us and get there. And this week in particular, I'm going to give some kind of biblical foundation. There's going to be a little bit of practical stuff at the end. And then particularly next week, it's going to be really practical. What does it look like? It's nice to have this concept of being a scattered servant anywhere, any place, belonging to God, and we're going to be salt there. But 
what does it look like practically? So hopefully I'll be able to give you some tools. But just to kind of create some foundations, um, I must admit I borrowed heavily from a guy called Ed Silvoso. He came this Friday, actually spoke um, to some leaders at the back. And I kind of heavily borrowed from him, no apologies. Why rewrite something if you can get it from somebody else? Or inspired. And, uh, and he had certain paradigms which you can see on your sheet. And I'm just going to go through them. He has five. I just shortened it to four. And the first one is this kind of great commission, this great invitation is about discipling nations, not just people. We read that verse already in Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them. We are invited to go and transform nations. We're invited to make disciples of them. You know, and that's crucial. I've shared this before. Some of this stuff we're teaching, we've been teaching over the last year. I'm not expecting you to remember what I said a year ago. I can remember. But, uh, you know, the challenge is to make disciples, not just converts. I've said this before. You know, most of you know, if you've been around this church for a while, I do a lot of work with Muslims. It's not that difficult to get a Muslim to follow Jesus. You know, I could probably get thousands of Muslims to follow Jesus in a year. But to make a disciple that is somebody that's more than just put up their hand or sign a piece of paper, but in an ongoing way is trying to live out their life the way that Jesus would live their life. That's way harder, but that's what we're called to do. Let's never lower the bar lower than what God wants us to do. Why is God? He's asking us. He's inviting us. And he never sets us thing that we cannot do. And so this was a challenge he threw out to disciples. He's like, go. And go to the whole world. I mean, I don't know what it looks like. Because we kind of know the end of the story. I don't know if in some ways they kind of grasped it at the time. I mean, they were kind of a little bit in shock still. And then Jesus just kind of went up after he said this. But, I mean, these guys have just kind of lived in their little neighborhood. Galilee. I'm not going to give you a little mouth. And they kind of gone down to Jerusalem. And, I mean, they were like Israelites. As far as we know, they weren't particularly intellectual. They hadn't particularly had their, their passports full of visas from all different parts of the Roman Empire. And he's like, here you are, guys. You spent all your, most of your life in this little area. And you're going to go and start changing and discipling nations. I mean, that must have kind of messed with their minds, blown their minds, whatever. You know, and that's the invitation he gives to us. I don't know what you feel like. You might think, I'm not a kind of world changer. I'm not a nation shaker. But if you say you follow Jesus, you are. If you said, you know, you know if at some point in your life you said, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want you to be in charge of my life. You have chosen, you signed, you signed that kind of job description to be a world changer, a nation shaker. And so they went out and, uh, and they did a pretty good job. Uh, you can read scripture. I, I should have one of these sheets because I can't remember what I gave you and what I haven't. But um, they're kind of told to go and do it. And uh, yeah, it's down there. And so they wait. And I kind of put this in because it links into the talk we did. The, the disciples are told to wait and get power. That's what we've been talking about, renewal. And then they go on and they start by, I mean, they don't go for individuals. They don't kind of start small, do they? They disciple, you know, they, they, they commanded to go and disciple a city, Jerusalem, a kind of nation or people group, Samaria. And then they're told to go to the ends of the earth. Mind-boggling. How do they do? Well, we're told, not very far on in Acts chapter 5, they filled Jerusalem with their teaching. We're also told that people were brought in from surrounding areas to get healed. Man, they're already impacting. They're already bringing a massive transformation and then we read in Acts chapter 19, all who, lived in, all who lived in Asia heard. All. 
wasn't like, you know, some. Those are kind of on the fringes of people who knew, you know, knew the church, whatever. Oh, wow. That is mind-boggling when you start looking at it. But that's what we're invited into. Like I said, to disciple a nation is to impact its life so that it will conform to a set of specific values and develop a corresponding behavior. To disciple a nation is to impact its life so that it will conform to a set of specific values and develop a corresponding behavior. And that's happened. The Romans did it. The Romans had a way of just making everybody in the Roman Empire think and act like a Roman. And it's happened ever since, funny enough, or sadly enough, sorry, in relation to the cases of recent history, it's normally been dictators. You saw Hitler did that in Nazi Germany. Whereas a nation, it conformed to specific values and developed a corresponding behavior. You saw it with Lenin in Russia. You've seen it with Mao in China. Where they were able to somehow impregnate that society in a way of thinking and believing that affected the way it lived. The issue is not whether a nation, or if it makes it a little bit simpler for you, whether a city can be disciple, because it happens all the time and continues to happen. The question is, can a nation, can a city be so impacted in such a way that it becomes a disciple of Jesus? Can his teachings and the reality and the powers of his teachings so impregnate the people of Winchester, for example, and its institutions that Winchester reflects the character of Christ. That is transformation. I've asked the question, can a nation, can a city be discipled? And the Great Commission at its face value says, yes. It's kind of very resounding and very clear, yes. So the question, and the question we come as a leadership team and as we teach it is, if the answer is yes, it leaves a couple of questions. How do we do it? And will we embrace this invitation? And that's a challenge to myself. And that's a ch- I could stop there for his talk. But is that, that's the challenge. That's the invitation. And it's not one to be daunted by. And in some ways maybe it is. It's one that should cause us to fall to our knees and cry out to God. But it's that invitation. We are invited to change nations. Will we do it? So the first mindset that got there, the Great Commission is about discipling nations, not just people. Then secondly, we are called to a lifestyle that brings transformation. Ed Savoy uses this phrase, marketplace. I tend to use the word kind of spheres of influence or our communities. That idea that anywhere, anytime, any place, wherever God has places, it might be in a school environment, might be in a university environment, it might be at home, maybe a carer. Uh, maybe you're retired. It doesn't matter. Fill in the gap. I, don't, I won't be able to do this every time. But whenever I use that phrase, marketplace, a sphere of influence, a community, just think about where you are at. Where you will be tomorrow morning, for example. And we're called to bring transformation to that. Transformation out there. It's one way that Ed Sivos really helped me. He just kind of went through scripture. It's amazing. The stuff that God did. I remember Chris a very long time ago. I can remember people's talks as well. He did a talk about why we should be just healing people in our everyday lives. And he looked at the life of Jesus. I remember him doing I can still remember the screen. And he went through all the kind of miracles and healings that Jesus did. And then Chris, being a lot more technical than me, said, how many of those happened out there? And he just pressed the button. I was like, 
uh, you know, like 95% uh, of them. But as you look through scripture, you know, Jesus was born in a stable. A stable, by its decoration, is a workplace. Jesus went and called his disciples in the marketplace. You know, Peter and Andrew and the brothers were fishing and Jesus says, come follow me. He went to Matthew as he was dealing with money and says, come follow me. You know, it's said already, you know, most of um, Jesus' teaching, if you look through it, it kind of work related. Some of the languages he uses, seed and sowing, and I, I, I haven't got time to go through them, but he's really kind of talking and dealing with things out there. The Holy Spirit didn't just fall in a building, it fell out there as well, and they got saved out there. Again, I don't have time to do this, I depend on people, but they say like 68 out of the 69 miraculous things that happened in the book of Acts happened out there. As people were just living their lives, being open to God and what God wanted to do in that moment and kind of cooperating with it and saying, yes, God, let your kingdom come here as it on earth. Paul, as somebody who's always trying to think about nations and reach large places, Paul is particularly interesting. If you look at the story in Acts, again and again he goes from place to place uh, and just sharing Jesus in what was going to be Asia Minor. Just think of places like um, Syria, Turkey, Italy and Greece and um, generally he would spend a time in a kind of religious institution location building and not a lot happened it's only when he started to go out uh, that he started making an impact most of the places where he had the greatest impact was the same time that he was doing what was his normal secular job which was tent making interesting uh, most of the leaders of the emerging churches, if you read in the book of Acts, uh, were market people, people he met out there doing their jobs. And the list goes on. And so we've got that challenge, we've got that invitation that wherever we are, we are called to, to do that. I'm not going to church in this because this is where I'll build from next week, but there's two cases in the Bible in particular where we have actual examples of national transformation that occurred by individuals, not be, individuals just being Jesus in their locations. I wouldn't use that language because they're both from the Old Testament. One example is Joseph, who totally transformed the nation of Egypt and through that, all the surrounding nations. And the other example, which I will build on from next week, is, is Daniel, who was and an advisor, and through his influence, through him being a scattered servant, he was able to influence the greatest empire of that time. And so again, we look at it, we see where God's heart is. As you read through scripture, as you read through the early church, we often say we want to do things like they did. And it's hit me again. I mean, sometimes I kind of knew some of it in my head, but I was, I was staggered at how much of scripture is there challenging us and encouraging us just to be scattered servants, just to be Jesus, whatever is our sphere of influence. The third kind of paradigm, pillar, I don't know whatever you want to call it, is this one. Labor is worship and every believer is a minister. Labor is worship. In the opening chapters of Genesis, there's no explicit mention of worship. We say that, you know, the chief end of man is to worship God and enjoy him forever. That this is what we called one of the reasons why worship is such a key value for us uh, in the vineyard. 
is something that's really, really important to us. But it's interesting, there's no really, you know, often when we think about worship, I don't know what you think, but we often think musical instruments or, or singing, and that is a very valuable and very important expression of our worship. But nothing like that happened for a few hundred years. If you look um, in books like Genesis, and it's only when you start getting into Exodus, that you actually have a musical expression of worship. Because our labor was meant to be worship. The way that we do our life. That's why, you know, in the early books like Genesis, the way that you expressed your worship was by bringing the fruit of your labor. Labor, and it might seem quite simple, but our labor, until we grasp this, we start limiting our worship to a location or to a style. Rather than that, we are invited to make our lives worship. Actually, the, the root word for worship, to serve and to work, is the same. Abad. Uh, I just happened to read that. I guess you think I'm a Hebrew scholar. But it's the same root. Worship and work. And again, as we want to become scattered servants, as we want to be salt everywhere, we've got to start realizing that whatever our labor is, whether you're unemployed, whether you're a carer or retired, doesn't make any difference. Whatever you're spending your time doing is an opportunity to be worshipped. Wherever you may be, you are in God's presence and He is in our presence. Wow. You know, God's not limited to this location here. I know we kind of know that in our heads. I think sometimes in my life and certain situations I seem to forget that. Somebody asked me recently, would I go into a mosque? And, um, and I said, yeah, why not? God's there. God's presence is everywhere. But by connecting with him, I can release and make that presence manifest uh, increasingly. So we need to kind of, as a church, one of our cries is that we want as a church to realize that labor is worship. Now that's why Paul said, you know, I urge you brothers in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. That's why we can do everything unto God as worship. You know, we've had some great opportunities on Tents on the Green and as a church we run these kind of 24-7 prayer. And that's great. But you know what? It doesn't need to stop. People say, can we do another 24-7? Why not? We can start right now. We can start 24-7 right now worshipping and prayer by deciding in our hearts that we will make our lives and all that we do be worship unto God. How does that look practically, you know, in some ways? Well, it's kind of making that choice in our hearts, deciding, you know, maybe if you're a student and you're serving a uh, uh, McDonald's burger, might be hard for some of you to imagine this, but doing that as an act of worship. Make that burger as good as you can do it. Um... Might be that you're cleaner, as you're kind of cleaning a house. Just saying, I'm going to do this for the glory of God. Whether they see or not, there's some dust behind this little thing. I'm just going to do my best because this isn't to God. You know, you can fill in the gap if you work in a factory, and I'm just looking at down where you're building a wall. You know, what, whatever it may be, doing it unto God, whether it's seen or not seen, because it's unto God. You know, a driver. You know, just you know. Wow, you can pray, you can pray drive at the same time, hopefully not because the person's driving badly. But, um, you know, wherever we can be, God is there. We can be 24-7 in the community, 
It's there already. All we need to do is activate it and be it. And I think I threw that challenge down at the end. You know, what part of our job marketplace role do we need to offer up to God as a daily worship? How are we going to segment our lives? Secondly, just moving on very fastly. Every believer is a minister. A worshipper in the marketplace. And there's a number of verses there, but really all it says is, we are all ministers, we are all priests. Sometimes people think, oh, Nigel and Joe, they're the ministers of the church. Sometimes they are in the sense of the figureheads or Winchester Vineyard. But we're all ministers. We're all priests. Wherever we are placed, we are ministers. There's no kind of disqualification. We just need to learn to figure out how to outlive that. And particularly next week, I'm going to really talk that through. But I, gave you, I wanted to give you a little bit of taster, just in case you're thinking, oh, mine will come next week. But... Uh, and I just jotted these down. Because wherever you are, whatever situation you're in, they need a minister. Um, Tom, I can't remember, he's gone now, Tom's at the back. Tom and I were talking about this, about this um, last week. And um, Tom does loads and loads of different things, but one of the things he does is a, he's a Morris dancer. <laughs> That's fine. And we were talking about this because... As that, you know, and again, you can feel it. It can be a hobby. It can be your work. You know, filling the gap. I say, but what is there? He's acting as a as a minister, and he doesn't have like a badge saying minister or the Morris dancers. It just means just being aware of the people around you, being aware maybe who normally sits in the desk opposite you and he hasn't turned up. Maybe the person that normally kind of jumps on the commute train with you and is not there. It's just noticing that the person at the till. In Asda, just looks a little bit haggard. Everybody needs a minister. Be that person. Take that on. I've seen that. I've shared this before many times. You know, one of my main examples, because my work, where I connect with people out there, is um, shopping. One reason I like shopping. I mean, not clothes shopping. No, thank you. But, uh, you know, going around Asda is whenever I go into that shop, wherever I can, I remember, I just think, I'm the minister for this half an hour. And I'm just like, God, what are you doing? You are here, you're at work. I just want to kind of partner with you. I'm going to be the minister just to look out. Secondly, everybody needs to feel loved by God. You know, we sang about love. It's great. Yeah, Joe said, you know, it's great. We just say, we love you, God, and God, we just receive your love. I think sometimes we forget what a privilege that is. And people all around us are just yearning for somebody to love them. It doesn't mean you have to go around and give them a big kind of cuddle and hug. So anything like me, they wouldn't be that keen on it. But one of the main ways you can just show love is to notice. One of the main ways you can show love is by listening. Incredibly simplistic. Uh, I'll give you some amazing deep, deeper truths like that next week. Um, but just listening, show love. Oh, I said that must have third point. So I got there already. But that's what we call, we're invited. And one of the things we want to do as a church is going to commission you guys and say, hey, wherever you are, we want to say, be the minister. Take that on. Be the minister. You might minister in a number of different places in different ways. Fourthly, uh, our primary call is not to build a church, but to take the kingdom of God where the kingdom of darkness is and see transformation occur in our communities, in our cities. 
Now, Jesus taught a lot about the kingdom of God, and he often gave examples like leaven, which is one that you might not recognize, uh, light, salt, and seeds. But the interesting thing about these is, each of these elements must come into contact with the physical world to fulfill its destiny. To infiltrate, to shine, to preserve. Oh, I've got a lot of crap over here. Is that better? Um, but, you know, for these things to make an impact, they need to come into contact with them. And the disciples knew that. You knew their, their aim was to, just to go and witness all over the city. And when they did a church was planted, it was like a byproduct. I think sometimes we, we kind of go the wrong way around. You know, as a movement, we're really into church planting. But I think sometimes we would see more churches planted if we kind of focused on bringing transformation to our communities and then the churches will come. They will naturally come. I think as soon as, I mean, I'm one of the people that's involved. I often think, how can we plant a church here? I've been challenged about changing my mentality. If I think about bringing transformation, wherever it may be, the churches will come. As the disciples started to infiltrate and affect every fibre of society, it changed everything. Right, what now? How should we respond? Firstly, and again, I will build on this next week. I think I'll put in your sheet, we need to raise the dead. Now you might think, what? What are you on about? If I brought you, uh, if we had a blind person here, I think I've only had dealt with one blind person before, and I needed to pray for them, I don't know what would be going through your mind. I'll be going, oh God, oh God, help me. Because in no way in my ability can I make that blind person see. It's got to be God. If God doesn't turn up, they're going to go away blind. Or maybe I'll set you an assignment. I don't know, after you've gone to the, um, the picnic and you've kind of got a little bit of the afternoon, go to your local cemetery. Uh, and your assignment is j- just raise one person from the dead. I'm not asking for much. Looking forward to testimonies next week. Just raise one person from the dead. I don't know what you'd do. I don't know who you'd take. I mean, I wouldn't take along the person who's really clever. Because to be honest, I might not be that much good. You need God. You need God if you're going to see somebody raised from the dead. And if we want to bring transformation... We need to have that same mindset and heart. The Bible says that people do not, who do not know Jesus is because they're blinded. The Bible says again and again, I can't remember how many times Nigel would have said this when he was teaching the series in Romans, but I know it's there in Romans and all through, particularly Paul's letters, that we're dead in sin. Why well, it makes us think that we can go to sink in the physical and think we can't do it without God. And sometimes I think I can do it in the spiritual I see something and I think I want to make an impact on my community. I know so many people that need an encounter, that need to see, that need to be raised from the dead. If I read a better book or I go to, I mean, that's all good. I'm going to do some training. But ultimately, where we need to start is just cry out to God. God, bring life. As I look, you know, my little cul de sac, they're all cemeteries that need people raising from the dead. You know, look at you at whatever it is and start believing and thinking that way. Secondly, give him your staff and your donkey. Probably be a little bit cryptic to finish off. There's a couple of stories in the Bible. One is Moses, and he gets called by God, he's going to lead a nation. He goes, what do I have? And he just says, what, what do you have in your hand? A staff. He says, use that. The donkey one is a story in the New Testament. I'll give you a bit of Old Testament and New Testament today. And... Um, Jesus is going into Jerusalem and they needed a donkey to fulfill prophecy. So they go looking for a donkey and there's a donkey already. 
It's things that people had already. Sometimes when we talk about changing the world, it's like, what do we, you know, do I need to get this? Do I need to get that? No, God is just saying, what do you have already? What role, what job, what influence, where are you already? Where you go shopping? Why is he challenging you and he's challenging me as well? What, what do we need to give to him today? Why is our donkey? What's our staff that we need to give to him? And thirdly, like I said already, whatever that situation you are in, whatever situation I'm in, then be a minister. Begin to be salt, to get out of that salt pot and begin to influence. Those chips definitely need it. <laughs> they don't need vinegar, they need chip. They don't need salt. <laughs> but, uh, uh, so I don't... No, I think Nigel's up. But, um, can we have the worship band up, please? I know I said a lot of themes, and um, next week I'll maybe just slow down and just take some of those deeper. But um, um, I feel one of the things that God wants to do is, is just to kind of throw out that challenge. What is it? Maybe you're just going to want to recommission yourself. You're saying, God, I'm giving you my job, I'm giving you my hobby. You know, a bit like um, Morris dancing, or whatever it may be. And I was saying, God, come and use that. Come and affect it.